This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. WBBM News Time 1203. Good to have you joining us for the Friday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Kudu. Right now, the Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. If you want a mortgage, what should you do about your credit card debt? Also, it's Entrepreneur Friday. Let's kick things off, though, with consumer sentiment. That's the highlight of today's economic file. Joining us with the latest, Diane Swank, chief economist at Grant Thornton here in Chicago. Uh, Diane, kind of give us the nuts and bolts here of this latest report on consumer sentiment. Yeah, it really was a a bit of a downer. We're still at decade lows. We're at the lowest levels that we've hit since the pandemic um, that we already saw in August. So we essentially flatlined between uh, August and early September. And what's important is the consumer sentiment index that's um, done by the University of Michigan. It's a little more sensitive to inflation and pricing issues than the consumer confidence measure that comes out of the conference board that tends to track more closely with employment. What was disappointing in the index today was something we already know. Prices are high. Consumers are upset about it. And across income levels that they just don't want to pay what they have to to buy a new car or a big ticket, you know, appliances for the home, furniture, houses. I mean, all of these things are showing skyrocketing prices and consumers are souring on them in response. And that way, we do see shortages have already constrained some of the spending out there. But the big question, you know, is what do we see in the month of September after we got the retail sales for August? I guess we're better than expected, but they were better than expected because consumers pivoted overwhelmingly back online, getting groceries from grocery stores instead of going out and stepping out. And services are a big part of the economy. And as those things are also um, affected by the spread of the Delta variant, that's going to show up in the services spending as we get into August and September. And if consumers, uh, you know, that sentiment doesn't rise more, eventually, do you see a, uh, a restraint in spending? I mean, I know there's not always a connection between those two. Well, there's no question that higher prices at the pump and at the grocery store are the hardest, especially for those low-wage workers. And what we know is that over the last two years, go, you know, let's just you know, sort of average over the pandemic and before the pandemic, if we go back two years, rises in prices at the pump and at the grocery store have wiped out a lot of those low-wage gains that those consumers have gotten when they have gotten a job. So we are a little concerned. It isn't a double-dip recession scenario or anything like that. But, you know, we are going to see some more tempered demand as we go forward because price is the ultimate equalizer. It goes too high and people stop buying. So what do we expect here? The Open Market Committee going to meet, oh, let's see, about a week from now. Uh, What do we expect given some of the data you've been seeing? 
You know, I think the Fed is a bit in a corner, but um, we're going to see the Fed will show their quarterly, they call it their dot plots. It's sort of a dreaded, you know, um, bunch of dots that all the different participants in the meetings say their forecasts are for the economy over the next to 2024 now. And what you're going to see is downgrades to their expectations on growth, higher inflation, and you're going to see more rate hikes. And I think that's something that, you know, it could be a little destabilizing to financial markets because the Fed, you know, there are people within the Fed that are now worried that even if inflation is transitory, it may not be as transitory as they'd like and cool as quickly as they'd like. And instead of inflation abating on its own, they may have to actually counter it. We have not seen the Fed actually have to counter inflation and chase inflation in decades. And that is something that, you know, is something we have to watch for. I still think the Fed is on track to do a tapering of their asset purchases. There is a lot of concern out there that they keep buying these mortgage-backed securities and treasury bonds at a time we no longer need it for financial stability. That is, um, they're also worried about seeding bubbles. And so even though the economy is not as good, it is um, more uncomfortable with the heat of inflation, and the Fed has to acknowledge that and not maybe be as um, optimistic that everything's going to play out without them having to get in and do some things as well. Thanks so much. Always good analysis from Diane Swank, chief economist at Grand Thornton. A Wall Street Journal report says Facebook has found its photo-sharing app Instagram is harmful to a significant percentage of teenage girls. Let's get some details on this. Dan Gallagher is a tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal's Heard on the Street column based in San Francisco. Uh, Dan, when we say harmful to some teenage girls, what what kind of harm are we talking here? Well, this this reporting by my colleagues at the Journal was based on actual internal studies Facebook did. Um, It has a very big team of, uh, of social scientists and other research experts, um, and they found internally that uh, they were finding about um, in one of their findings was that 32 percent of teenage girls said they felt uh, bad about their bodies um, and Instagram made them feel worse. And and this is from a study, I think, back in or was presented last year sometime. Um, and, you know, other findings like that that showed that, you know, there was internally at Facebook, there was actually some strong concern about the effect Instagram was having on this population. And so Facebook, I mean, they they have discovered this. Have they said they're doing anything about it? It sort of seems difficult to be able to do anything about it. I don't know how they would. Well, I mean, they've, they, the responses they made to the stories that my colleagues have done have said that, you know, they, they're they always looking at this problem and trying to do something. But the theme of the theme of this, and, and we my, my colleagues have done several other stories this week that have a common theme that, um, Facebook has a lot of internal understanding about some of the problems that go on in its platform. They've actually studied a lot, but they don't take a lot of action to address these. I mean, Instagram is just one um, one problem they've looked at. Other things about, um, you know, misinformation, violent content, um, anti-vaccine information, that sort of stuff. And so the theme of this is that Facebook kind of has a really good understanding of what goes on, but because of either, you know, some of these are, you know, very complex things to solve. And in some cases, there would be, there could be business impacts that the company, you know, I mean, Instagram makes them a lot of money. And I think there's some hesitancy to, um, you know, kill the goose, lay the golden egg. Yeah. And, and it's sort of difficult for them to decide to take people away from the posts that they're engaging with. It's making them come back. It's, it's making them stick around. It's kind of against their their company's well-being in order to say, hey, we don't want you to focus as much on this. 
Yeah, I mean, what they found, I mean, generally what Facebook finds is that, you know, the more people are engaged, you know, the more attractive it is as an advertising platform for advertisers. And so when they, you know, when it's a, it comes time to like, okay, you crack down on content that people are engaging with, um, you run the risk that you bring your engagement down. Um, you know, sometimes that is pretty clear cut. They, you know, to their credit, they I think they have tried to cut, cut um, clamp down on things that are, you know, like, you know, violent and that sort of stuff that they that they do try to address. Even that's hard. Um, but when you come into things like you know, teenage girls that are looking at, you know, shots of models or whatever, um, gets it's more of a I think more of a gray area on what to on what to work on. And again, it goes back to Instagram as a very valuable source of income, and it's a window to the teenage market that is not using the main Facebook app. Thanks so much, Dan Gallagher. Really interesting. It's a report in the Wall Street Journal, and Dan is a tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal's Heard on the Street column. Just ahead, a look at the impact on the restaurant industry as the economy continues to recover from the pandemic. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. For restaurants, the economic recovery seems to be moving in the wrong direction. Joining us to discuss the unique challenges facing the industry, Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach here in Chicago. Uh, Izzy, talk about the unique challenges that restaurants are facing now as they try to recover. Well, it really has been a very tough recovery. And the number one issue uh, and why we see sales going down is all tied up in the labor uh, problem. Uh, that it's so hard to find uh, employees that places are now closing uh, where they used to be open seven days. Now they're open five days or four days. I'm actually out in uh, Michigan today. I wanted to go to Jimmy John's, but they're closed uh, because they had no employees show up. So obviously this is affecting their sales. You know, kids going back to school, those kind of normal things would would drop sales somewhat. But what we're seeing is, uh, you know, this is all, you know, pandemic related in terms of, uh, you know, people not coming back to work yet and uh, not being able to uh, open up your property. I know there's some restaurants in my neighborhood where uh, maybe they haven't been able to do in-person dining, but they can do carry out because they don't have servers or maybe they can't open for lunch, but they're open for dinner. And eventually with the tight margins in the restaurant industry, it, I mean, it seems like that's not the sort of thing that can go on forever. No. And, you know, food prices continue to go up. It's actually, you know, hard to <laughs> change your menu pricing uh, to go up uh, as quickly as prices are going up. That, that, that has also been an issue. So how are businesses moving forward? You, you have a lot of entrepreneurs in the restaurant industry who are trying to figure out a way to make it work. Well, they're doing, you know, again, they're really focusing a lot of their social media and their efforts on uh, pickup and curbside service. Uh, some are doing delivery. And as you say, a lot of people are closing their dining room. They just don't have the staff. So all of their effort is, you know, even though we're closed inside every day, uh, we are still doing carry-out delivery um, and, and, and curbside. Um, so those, these are the ways that they're, they're trying to fight it. But, but I did want to mention one other issue that you and I chatted about a month ago, which was when San Francisco decided to go to uh, forcing people to show their vaccine card to get into the restaurant. And my comment at that time was I felt I felt that this was the most dangerous thing that the government could do is put uh, restaurant employees in danger because of, you know, the attitude that people have. And and unfortunately, this came true. Carmine's restaurant yesterday had a, a major incident uh, with an assault on an employee who just asked customers to, to show their uh, 
their vaccine card and uh, was uh, unbelievably assaulted at the door. So that's going to affect restaurants as well. Yeah, they're having to play, in, in a way, uh, sort of police now, in addition to just trying to get people to their seats. Really interesting, difficult challenges for the restaurant industry. Izzy Karish, always appreciate you talking with us. The restaurant coach, president of Hospitality Works. Still ahead, we'll talk to a local entrepreneur about how scoring a deal on Shark Tank helped expand his business in a big way. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is Chicago's all-news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. Great to have you joining us. I'm Cisco Cotto. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. An FDA panel is expected to make a decision today about recommending COVID booster shots. The Illinois Department of Health has released the state's latest COVID case numbers. We'll talk with an expert about some recommended stock investment strategies on this Entrepreneur Friday. We'll be joined by the co-owner of a company that took advantage of a deal on ABC's Shark Tank. On the markets, the Dow down 183, NASDAQ down 142, S&P down 36 points, oil is down 1% today. Sunshine all day long, no rain in the forecast, high of 87, right now 83 degrees. The noon business hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. An FDA advisory panel is hearing from experts today before making its recommendation on whether to approve vaccine booster shots. Donna Boyce is with Pfizer, which has requested authorization for a booster shot because of a decline in effectiveness, especially after six months. The observed erosion in vaccine effectiveness is likely primarily due to waning effectiveness rather than due to Delta escaping vaccine protection. The advisory panel will later make its recommendation to the FDA, but the CDC will have the final say. Here in Illinois, the Department of Public Health has reported just over 4,300 new confirmed and probable cases of COVID and 41 related deaths. The figures released yesterday bring the total Illinois number of cases to more than 1.5 million, including more than 24,000 deaths since the pandemic started. Meanwhile, yesterday marked the fourth straight day with ICU beds filled to capacity capacity in the least vaccinated region downstate, which is home to more than 400,000 residents. It's 1232. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Markets headed downward. The Dow down 192 now. The NASDAQ down 143. And the S&P down 38 points. Let's find out what's going on. Tim Grisky is here, Chief Investment Strategist at Inverness Council, based in New York. Tim, what do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Cisco, good afternoon. Uh, well, the, the path of least resistance for stocks has recently been lower. And today is another day of that. 
but uh, the technicals actually look good. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're, we're not that concerned about uh, the markets here. Uh, we've been through these periods before where there's profit taking and then the, uh, the buyers come in and uh, we reach new highs again. At some point, we'll see a sustained market pullback. We don't think this is it yet. So for investors, what do you, what do you suggest in light of what you're expecting? I, I look at this as a uh, buying opportunity. All these you know, small dips that we get in the market, these periods of profit taking, uh, and uh, we look at these as opportunities uh, to put cash to work and to get into uh, better securities, better companies that have better growth prospects. Uh, so, you know, we would be looking to put money to work in this environment. So help the maybe the newer investor understand that 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 give and take that buying on small dips, that that's actually a way to make money. I think a lot of times they're expecting, hey, I'm going to buy something. I'm going to ride it out for a few years and just watch it go to the sky. Well, there are various ways of investing. Uh, you know, there are long term investors uh, like to think that we're a long term investor. Uh, and that's finding great companies that are going to keep doing well, hopefully selling at a reasonable price, reasonable valuation. Uh, and that is a, a very solid way of making money over the long term. Uh, so I wouldn't dissuade anyone from uh, using that type of strategy. Uh, traders, on the other hand, uh, do look for opportunities like today where the market is down. Uh, and maybe certain securities are down more uh, than the overall market and provide a real opportunity to get into names, uh, whether it's long-term or short-term, uh, at very attractive prices, we think. Uh, valuations here are not over the moon. I know this market has done very well, but so has the economy. Uh, and that's really the driver of stocks. Uh, econ the economy uh, corporate earnings, corporate revenue growth, uh, and the future. And if you're optimistic uh, on the future, uh, investing today uh, on, on down days like today is a great opportunity. So are there certain areas you'd be directing people to, to take a look if they're thinking about moving some money around or putting more money in the market? Sure. Yeah, well, we're, we're still very much of a believer in big technology. Uh, we think the technology revolution continues. Uh, this really uh, technology helps companies and individuals, consumers in so many ways. Uh, and we think we've really just scratched the surface in terms of technological change, that there's just going to be much more of that ahead. So <clears throat> we're certainly believers in both the producers of big technology and the users of big tech technology. So there are companies that use big data and mining data uh, to uh, to benefit their businesses. And one company would be uh, a little bit off the radar screen, MSCI, uh, which is a global investment index provider. Uh, like the S&P 500, uh, MSCI produces uh, indexes, publishes indexes, uh, primarily or largely of uh, foreign markets. Uh, and there are opportunities in foreign markets, certainly. Uh, so uh, a company like MSCI that's really a user of big data and benefits from the use of data, I think is a, a great way to go. 
and talk to the people who are skittish about technology because of of some of the ebb and flow. I mean, as you're mentioning, great opportunities there, and yet volatility. Some people aren't really comfortable with that, but I guess that's the markets. Well, that is part of investing, and especially part of equity investing. You're going to see volatility, and it's very easy to get scared off when the markets are down uh, and to get into the market when, when things are up. Uh, but if you're a bit of a contrarian, look for those periods where markets are down and uh, that ability to get in. But besides you know, technology, there are lots of other uh, types of investment staying still on sort of the equity side, real estate investment trust, which is how you invest in commercial real estate in a liquid security that you can buy and sell. Great opportunities in all sorts of sectors there, uh, whether those sectors are technology-based uh, or uh, much more mundane, uh, like uh, retail, uh, you know, like housing, um, distribution centers, uh, all sorts of different sectors you can invest in, in real estate, uh, and, and that's REITs uh, with higher income, uh, steady income, and growth of income uh, being uh, significant benefits, significant benefits for that. Thanks so much, Tim Grisky, Chief Investment Strategist at Inverness Council. Just ahead, Entrepreneur Friday, the value of scoring a deal on ABC's Shark Tank. Making sense of your dollars. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday on the Noon Business Hour. We welcome Nick Hamburger, co-founder of Quavos, the low-carb egg white snack company. They used a deal scored on ABC Shark Tank to take the business to the next level. Nick, it's good to have you with us here. So I want to understand here. So you go on Shark Tank, you get some kind of a deal. What happens then? I mean, are you, are you dealing directly with the shark? Do you have all kinds of middle men and middle women? How does that process work? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And I think something that you don't always uh, get to learn about for a lot of these companies. Well, first thing is I've heard that over half of the deals fall through because what you see on the show is, a very simple handshake agreement, and then you get the kind of all the nitty-gritty terms uh, that people are offering, and it gets a little bit more complicated. But in our case, we did deal with the team of our shark uh, mostly, but then we had some calls where we were negotiating directly with with him. And so, what sort of uh, what sort of help do you get? I mean, are they uh, guiding you in what to do? Are they helping to to connect you to the right people? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, our shark, who's the founder of Kind Bars, um, has been really helpful with our packaging, uh, most especially. So making our design a lot more uh, warm and adding a lot of personality. Um, and he's also been connecting us to retailers. I think that's probably been the biggest help is he has, you know, Kind Bars in every retailer in the country. And he's made a lot of great introductions for us. Yeah, that seems vital because there's so many people who want to get into these stores that if you don't have a connection, I, I don't know how you get in there. Exactly. It's a lot about relationships and connections and, you know, warm introductions go a lot longer way than just a, a cold email to the buyer. So what has gone on with Quavo since you struck this deal? It's been a it's been a little while now, or is it too early to really know? Um, yeah, you know, it's it's there's been a fantastic effect from the show um, in the two weeks after the show. Uh, we sold uh, over half of our 2020 sales um, in two weeks, uh, which was pretty crazy. Um, and it's just kind of continued from there. You know, lots of new customers and new retailers that we're getting Quavos into. So we've added GNC and Hy-Vee, and we're about to launch Mariano's, I think in large part thanks to uh, being on the show. Um, and then 
We're also redoing our recipes uh, and our packaging with help from our shark, uh, which is all launching in December. So lots going on. So talk to the entrepreneur listening that is not going to be able to get on Shark Tank. Uh, you know, because uh, not everyone can do that. What sort of advice do you have for them for, for navigating some of this as they try to grow their business? Yeah, um, I would say uh, obsessive focus on product is, for me is probably the biggest thing I've learned time and time again. It's just like making sure you have something that people really, really like and that fills a need for customers, I think is, is so much more important than anything else. And for us, we have continued to redo our product time and time again. And now we're launching version four of our Quavos uh, egg white chips. Um, you know, just listening to uh, what people have to say um, about the product and what they maybe don't like and kind of always trying to improve your product offering, I think, uh, has been really helpful. For yeah, us. not taking it personally, right? Because this is your baby. And so when people are critical of it, it has to sting. And yet if you don't develop a thick skin and respond, you're, you're not going to be able to grow. Yes, exactly. It's, um, you know, not all of the feedback will be correct or, or universal, but you'll find trends among what people tell you that really are right, that you could improve in these areas. And exactly, it's about, uh, you know, just knowing that um, these these shortcomings or these little tweaks you make while they're painful to hear are going to help you so much in the long run. Thanks so much. Really good to talk with you and get some insight. That's Nick Hamburger, co-founder of Quavos. You can find more about them online at Quavos.com. They're based here in Chicago. That's Entrepreneur Friday. Still to come, buying a home and need a mortgage? Well, maybe you should pay off your credit cards first. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Many personal finance experts say if you plan to apply for a mortgage, it's best to pay off your credit card debt first. Joining us to explain why, Matt Schultz, Chief Credit Analyst at LendingTree, based in Austin. Well, that's our first question, Matt. Why? Why would you want to get rid of that credit card debt right away? Well, it's because your goal when you're getting a mortgage isn't just about getting the loan, but it's about getting the lowest interest rate that you possibly can. And if you have too much credit card debt when you're applying, it's going to impact your credit score. And the more impact on your credit score, the harder it's going to be for you to get that lower interest rate. So keeping that uh, card debt down is a really good idea. And uh, when it comes to that loan and all the years you're going to take to pay off that mortgage, uh, I mean, even a tenth of a percent could end up being big money. Yeah, talking about thousands and thousands of dollars. There are very few things that are more expensive than having crummy credit. And one of the best ways to improve your credit is to knock down your credit card debt. So it's an important thing to do. How far in advance do you want to do that? I mean, if you if you end up just knocking down a lot of it, say, a month or two before you apply for the mortgage, is the, the mortgage company going to get suspicious? I, I don't know that they would get suspicious, but it could create some guesswork as to what the actual impact is going to be on your credit score. Generally, the advice is that you don't want to tinker too much with your credit right before you apply for a mortgage because you want to kind of see exactly where you stand before you apply. So if you're going to knock down that credit card debt, doing it three to six months in advance, if you can, 
is is probably ideal. Now, there's a credit score issue. There's also a practical one too. That if you have a, a minimum payment or, or say a bunch of minimum payments and, and you're you're dealing with that every month with the credit cards, it will make it tougher for you to afford a mortgage. Yeah, no question about it. The the more credit card debt you have, the more difficult it is for you to pay those bills, whether it's just logistically and managing it all, or if it's just being able to to afford those costs. There, there's really almost no downside to paying down that credit card debt, especially if that if paying down that debt can bump up your credit score and save you. Um, and, and lower that mortgage interest rate, you're going to be really, really happy with that in the long run because it's going to save you a lot of money. Thanks so much. That is Matt Schultz. He is a chief credit analyst at Lending Tree. If you missed any part of today's show, go to our stream, skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function. It works both online and with the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.